Act Four of The Drummer, or The Haunted House, by Joseph Addison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Four. Enter Vellum and Butler. John, I have certain orders to give you, and therefore be attentive. Attentive? Aye. Let me alone for that. Aside. <laughs> I suppose he means being sober. You know I have always recommended to you a method in your business. I would have your knives and forks, your spoons and napkins, your plate and glasses, laid in a method. Ah, Master Vellum, you are such a sweet-spoken man. It does one's heart good to receive your orders. Method, John, makes business easy. It banishes all perplexity and confusion out of families. <laughs> How he talks. I could hear him all day. And now, John, let me know whether your table linen, your sideboard, your cellar, and everything else within your province are properly and methodically disposed for an entertainment this evening. Master Vellum, they shall be ready at quarter of an hour's warning. But pray, sir, is this entertainment to be made for the conjurer? It is, John, for the conjurer. And yet it is not for the conjurer. Why, look you, Master Vellum, if it is for the conjurer, the cookmaid should have orders to get him some dishes to his palate. Perhaps he may like a little brimstone in his sauce. This conjurer, John is a complicated creature, an amphibious animal, a person of a twofold nature. But he eats and drinks like other men. Merry Master Vellum, he should eat and drink as much as two other men by the account you give of him. Thy conceit is not amiss. He is indeed a double man. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you. He's one of your hermaphrodites, as they call him. He is married, and he is not married. He hath a beard, and he hath no beard. He is old, and he is young. How charmingly he talks. I fancy, Master Vellum, you can make a riddle. The same man, old and young. How do you make that out, Master Vellum? Thou hast heard of a snake casting his skin and recovering his youth? Such is this sage person. Nay, it is no wonder a conjurer should be like a serpent. When he has thrown aside the old conjurer's load that hangs about him, he'll come out as fine a young gentleman as ever was seen in this house. Does he intend to sup in his slough? That time will show. Well, I have not a head for these things. Indeed, Master Vellum, I have not understood one word you have said this half hour. I did not intend thou shouldest. But to our business... Let there be a table spread in the great hall. Let your pots and glasses be washed, and in a readiness. Bid the cook provide a plentiful supper, and see that all the servants be in their best liveries. Aye, now I understand every word you say, but I would rather hear you talk a little in that other way. I shall explain to thee what I have said by and by. Bid Susan lay two pillows upon her lady's bed. Two pillows? Madam won't sleep upon them both. She is not a double woman, too. 
she will sleep upon neither. But hark, Mistress Abigail, I think I hear her chiding the cookmaid. Then I'll away, or it will be my turn next. She, I'm sure, speaks plain English. <laughs> One may easily understand every word she says. Exit Butler. Vellum Solus. Servants are good for nothing. Unless they have an opinion of the person's understanding who has the direction of them. But see, Mistress Abigail, she has a bewitching countenance. I wish I may not be tempted to marry her in good earnest. Enter Abigail. Ha! Mr. Vellum! What brings my sweet one hither? I am coming to speak to my friend behind the wainscot. It is fit, child, he should have an account of this conjurer, that he should not be surprised. That would be as much as thy thousand pound is worth. I'll speak low. Walls have ears. Pointing at the wainscot. But hark you, duckling. Be sure you do not tell him that I am let into the secret. That's a good one indeed. As if I should ever tell what passes between you and me. No, no, my child. That must not be. <laughs> that must not be. <laughs> you will always be waggish. Adieu. And let me hear the result of your conference. How can you leave one so soon? I shall think it an age till I see you again. Adieu, my pretty one. Adieu, sweet Mr. Vellum. My pretty one. As he is going off. Dear Mr. Vellum. My pretty one. Exit Vellum. Abigail Sola. I have him, if I can but get this thousand pound. Ha! Ah! Three raps upon the drum, the signal Mr. Phantom and I agreed upon when he had a mind to speak with me. Very well, I hear you. Come, Fox, come out of your hole. Scene opens, and Phantom comes out. You may leave your drum in the wardrobe till you have occasion for it. Well, Mistress Abigail, I want to hear what is a-doing in the world. You are a very inquisitive spirit. But I must tell you, if you do not take care of yourself, you will be laid this evening. I have overheard something of that matter. But let me alone for the doctor. I'll engage to give a good account of him. I am more in pain about tinsel. When a lady's in the case, I'm more afraid of one fop than twenty conjurers. To tell you truly, he presses his attacks with so much impudence that he has made more progress with my lady in two days than you did in two months. I shall attack her in another manner, if thou canst but procure me another interview. There's nothing that makes a lover so keen as being kept up in the dark. Pray no more of your distant bows, your respectful compliments. Really, Mr. Phantom, you're only fit to make love across a tea-table. My dear girl, I can't forbear hugging thee for thy good advice. Aye, now I have some hopes for you, but why don't you do so to my lady? Child, I always thought your lady loved to be treated with respect. 
Believe me, Mr. Phantom, there is not so great a difference between woman and woman as you imagine. You see, Tinsel has nothing but his sauciness to recommend him. Tinsel is too great a coxcomb to be capable of love. And let me tell thee, Abigail, a man who is sincere in his passion makes but a very awkward profession of it. But I'll mend my manners. Ay, or you'll never gain a widow. Come, I must tutor you a little. Suppose me to be my lady, and let me see how you'll behave yourself. I'm afraid, child, we haven't time for such a piece of mummery. Oh, it will be quickly over, if you play your part well. Well then, dear Mistress Ab... I mean, Lady Truman. Aye, but you hadn't saluted me. That's right. Faith, I forgot that circumstance. Kisses her. Nectar and ambrosia. That's very well. How long must I be condemned to languish? When shall my sufferings have an end? My life, my happiness, my all is wound up in you. Well, why don't you squeeze my hand? What? Thus? Thus? I. Now throw your arm about my middle, hug me closer. Oh, you're not afraid of hurting me. Now pour forth a volley of rapture and nonsense till you are out of breath. Transport and ecstasy! Where am I? My life, my bliss! I rage, I burn, I bleed, I die. Go on, go on. Flames and darts, bear me to the gloomy shade, rocks and grottoes, flowers, zephyrs, and purling streams. Oh, Mr. Phantom, you have a tongue who'd undo a vestal. You were born for the ruin of our sex. This will do then, Abigail? Aye, this is talking like a lover. Though I only represent my lady, I take a pleasure in hearing you. Well, owe my conscience when a man of sense has a little dash of the coxcomb in him, no woman can resist him. Go on at this rate, and the thousand pound is as good as in my pocket. I shall think it an age till I have an opportunity of putting this lesson in practice. You may do it soon, if you make good use of your time. Mr. Tinsel will be here with my lady at eight, and at nine the conjurer is to take you in hand. Let me alone with both of them. Well, forewarned, forearmed. Get into your box, and I'll endeavour to dispose everything in your favour. Phantom goes in. Exit Abigail. Enter Vellum. Mistress Abigail is withdrawn. I was in hopes to have heard what passes between her and her invisible correspondent. Enter Tinsel. Vellum! Vellum! Vellum aside. Vellum. We are, methinks, very familiar. I am not used to being called so by any but their honours. What would you, Mr. Tinsel? Let me beg a favour of the old gentleman. What is that, good sir? Prithee, run and fetch me the rent-roll of thy lady's estate. The rent-roll? The rent-roll? Aye, the rent-roll. Dost not understand what that means? Why? 
Have you thoughts of purchasing of it? Thou hast hit it, old boy. That is my very intention. The purchase will be considerable. And for that reason I have bid thy lady very high. She is to have no less for it than this entire person of mine. Is your whole estate personal, Mr. Tinsel? <laughs> Why, you queer old dog, you don't pretend to jest, do ye? Look ye, Vellum, if you think of being continued my steward, you must learn to walk with your toes out. Vellum aside. An insolent companion. Thou'rt confounded rich, I see, by that dangling of thy arms. An ungracious bird. Thou shalt lend me a couple of thousand pounds. A fairy profligate. Look ye, Vellum, I intend to be kind to you. I'll borrow some money of you. I cannot but smile to consider the disappointment this young fellow will meet with. I will make myself marry with him. And so, Mr. Tinsel, you promise you will be a very kind master to me? Stifling a laugh. What will you give for a life in the house you live in? What do you think of five hundred pounds? <laughs> That's too little. And yet it is more than I shall give you. And I will offer you two reasons for it. Prithee, what are they? First, because the tenement is not in your disposal. And secondly, because it never will be in your disposal. And so fare you well, good Mr. Tinsel. <laughs> you will pardon me for being jocular. Exit Vellum. This rogue is as saucy as a conjurer. I'll be hanged if they are not akin. Enter Lady Truman. Mr. Tinsel, what, all alone? You free thinkers are great admirers of solitude. No, Faith, I have been talking with thy steward, a very grotesque figure of a fellow, the very picture of one of our benchers. How can you bear his conversation? I keep him for my steward and not my companion. He's a sober man. Yes, yes, he looks like a put. A queer old dog as ever I saw in my life. We must turn him off, widow. He cheats thee confoundedly, I see that. Indeed, you're mistaken. He has always had the reputation of being a very honest man. What? I suppose he goes to church. Goes to church? So do you too, I hope. I would for once, widow, to make sure of you. Ah, Mr. Tinsel, a husband who would not continue to go thither would quickly forget the promises he made there. Faith, very innocent and very ridiculous. Well, then, I warn thee, widow, thou wouldst not for the world marry a Sabbath-breaker. Truly, they generally come to a bad end. I remember the conjurer told you you were short-lived. <laughs> the conjurer. <laughs> Indeed, you're very witty. Indeed, you're very handsome. Kisses her hand. Lady Truman aside. I wish the fool does not love me. Thou art the idol I adore. How must I pay my devotion? Prithee widow, hast thou any timber upon thy estate? The most impudent fellow I ever met with. I take notice thou hast a great deal of old plate here in the house, widow. Mr. Tinsel, you are a very observing man. Thy large silver cistern would make a very good coach, and half a dozen salvers that I saw on the sideboard might be turned into six as pretty horses as any that appear in the ring. You have a very good fancy, Mr. Tinsel. What pretty transformations you could make in my house. Aside. But I'll see where it will end. 
then i observe child you have two or three services of gilt plate we'd eat always in china my dear i perceive you are an excellent manager how quickly you have taken an inventory of my goods now hark you widow to show you the love that i have for you very well let me hear you have an old-fashioned gold caudle cup with the figure of a saint upon the lid on i have what then why look here i'd sell the caudle cup with the old saint for as much money as they'd fetch which i would convert into a diamond buckle and make you a present of it oh you are generous to an extravagance but pray mr tinsel don't dispose of my goods before you are sure of my person i find you have taken a great affection to my movables my dear i love everything that belongs to you i see you do sir you need not make any protestations upon that subject foh foh my dear we are grown serious and let me tell you that's the very next step to being dull come that pretty face was never made to look grave with believe me sir whatever you may think marriage is a serious subject for that very reason my dear let us get over it as fast as we can i should be very much in haste for a husband if i married within fourteen months after sir george's decease pray my dear let me ask you a question dost not thou think that sir george is as dead at present to all intents and purposes as he will be a twelve month hence yes but decency mr tinsel or dost thou think thou'd be more a widow then than thou art now the world would say i never loved my first husband ah my dear they would say you loved your second and they would own i deserved it for i shall love thee most inordinately but what would people think think why they would think thee the mirror of widowhood that a woman should live fourteen whole months after the decease of a spouse without having engaged herself why about town we know many a woman of quality second husband several years before the death of the first ay i know you wits have your commonplace jests upon us poor widows i'll tell you a story widow i know a certain lady who considering the craziness of her husband had in case of mortality engaged herself to two young fellows of my acquaintance they grew such desperate rivals for her while her husband was alive that one of them pinked the other in a duel but the good lady was no sooner a widow but what did my dowager do why faith being a woman of honour she married a third to whom it seems she had given her first promise and this is a true story upon your own knowledge every tittle as i hoped to be married or never believe tom tinsel pray mr tinsel do you call this talking like a wit or like a rake innocent enough <laughs> why where's the difference my dear yes mr tinsel the only man i ever loved in my life had a great deal of the one and nothing of the other in him nay now you grow vapourish thou'd begin to fancy thou hearst the drum by and by if you had been here last night about this time you would not have been so merry about this time sayest thou come faith for the humour's sake we'll sit down and listen i will if you'll promise to be serious serious never fear me child <laughs> dost not hear him you break your word already pray mr tinsel do you laugh to show your wit or your teeth why both my dear aside i'm glad however that she has taken notice of my teeth but you look serious child i fancy thou hearst the drum dost not don't talk so rashly 
"'My, my dear, you could not look more frighted "'if you had Lucifer's drum mage in your house.' "'Mr. Tinsel, I must desire to see you no more in it "'if you do not leave this idle way of talking.' "'Child, I thought I had told you "'what is my opinion of spirits "'as we were drinking a dish of tea but just now. "'There is no such thing, I give thee my word.' Oh, Mr. Tinsel, your authority must be of great weight to those that know you. For my part, child, I have made myself easy in those points. Lady Truman, aside. Sure nothing was ever like this fellow's vanity but his ignorance. I'll tell thee what now, widow. I would engage by the help of a white sheet and a pennyworth of link in a dark night to frighten you a whole country village out of their senses and the vicar into the bargain. Hark! Hark! What noise is that? Heaven defend us. This is more than fancy. It beats more terrible than ever. Tis very dreadful. What a dog have I been to speak against my conscience, only to show my parts. It comes nearer and nearer. I wish you have not angered it by your foolish discourse. Indeed, madam. I did not speak from my heart. I hope it will do me no hurt, for a little harmless raillery. Harmless, do you call it? It beats hard by us, as if it would break through the wall. What a devil had I to do with a white sheet? Scene opens and discovers Phantom. Mercy on us, it appears. Oh, tis he, tis he himself, tis Sir George, tis my husband. Ah. She faints. Now would I give ten thousand pound that I were in town. Phantom advances to him, drumming. I beg ten thousand pardons. I'll never talk at this rate any more. Phantom still advances, drumming. By my soul, Sir George, I was not in earnest. Falls on his knees. Have compassion on my youth, and consider I am but a coxcomb. Phantom points to the door. But see, he weighs me off. I, with all my heart. What a devil had I to do with a white sheet. He steals off the stage, mending his pace as the drum beats. The scoundrel is gone and has left his mistress behind him. I'm mistaken if he makes love in this house any more. I have now only the conjurer to deal with. I don't question, but I shall make his reverence scamper as fast as the lover, and then the day's my own. But the servants are coming. I must get into my cupboard. He goes in. Enter Abigail and servants. Oh, my poor lady, this wicked drum has frightened Mr. Tinsel out of his wits, and my lady into a swoon. Let me bend her a little forward. Ah, she revives. Here, carry her into the fresh air and she'll recover. They carry her off. This is a little barbarous to my lady, but tis all for her good, and I know her so well that she would not be angry with me if she knew what I was to get by it. And if any of her friends should blame me for it hereafter, I'll clap my hand upon my purse and tell them twas for a thousand pound and Mr. Vellum. End of Act Four.